It is not the amount of money that I made off of GameStop or Bitcoin, although I wish it was. <laughs> 25000 it's not my age, even though when I ask young children how old they think I am, those are often the guesses, usually nine or 20000 25,000, it's the number of people that die every single day from hunger and hunger-related diseases. 25,000. To put that into context, since our service started, that means um, about six or 700 people around the world have just died because they don't have enough access to like food and basic nutrition and stuff like that. 25,000. Every three and a half seconds, that's another person. So even just in the time... I've talked, that's like eight, nine, ten people, and it's happening and happening and happening. If you've been around the church for a while, you're probably like, oh, okay, this is like Compassion Sunday, and we're going to like sponsor kids at the end, or here's going to be the organization. Um, and it's, although I think that's brilliant, and that followers of Jesus should give their money generously, especially in a world where people are starving to death for no reason, except that most of us who have much just are unwilling to share enough. Although I think that is very important. That's not what this morning is about at all. I want you guys to think about this. 25,000 people die every single day. And many of us in this part of the world are presented with like countless opportunities to like give and to share. Maybe some of you have like a World Vision sponsor child or you sponsor Feed the Hungry or like there are all these NGOs and organizations and all those. Maybe you do that. Maybe you never have. I don't know. But maybe you're involved in that in some way. And I think it's a great thing to be a part of. I want you to imagine this. Imagine you go home today and you're like, okay, I'm going to go online and I'm going to go on like Compassion's website or which I'm not promoting one organization over the other, but you go on Compassion's website and you're like, I'm going to sponsor a child so that I can help eradicate hunger. I can help those who are in need. I can invest in those who have less than we have. So you go home, you go through the website and they've got these pictures and it's pretty cool and you get to like, you may even be able to pick one with the same birthday as you or whatever. Decide to sponsor a child, and around the world, probably other people are sponsoring children from that community and all that, and it's this collective effort. So eventually the organization, they will go to a community and they say, we can start a work here, and we can actually bring uh, some food. We can bring nutrition. We can bring education. We can bring clean water. We can bring that type of thing, which is obviously much needed when 25,000 people are like dying because of this every day, and that's not even all the other effects of it. Now, I want you to imagine if after you've hit, yes, I want to sponsor you, put in your credit card info, all that, it's quite simple. If you've done all that, you got the welcome stuff in the, in the mail, all that. You've done that. Other people have done that. You don't know the other people have done that, but they've done that. And the organization goes into this community and says, we know that there's a need in this community. And they come in full of hope and full of help. And they say, guys, great news. In this developing community that's malnourished, that's plagued by famine, we've got more access now to food, to clean drinking water, those types of things that you need. And I want you to imagine if the people in the community said, pass, no thanks, we're good. And then Compassion writes, they're like, actually, we're going to cancel our sponsorship because the people decided they didn't want it. Now, probably in this day and age, people might like kind of argue and have some tension around like, well, maybe people just don't want like Westerners. But forget all of that. You imagine a community, many on the brink of death and starvation, given the opportunity to say, hey, here's food, saying, no thanks, hard pass. We would be blown away. We'd be like, what do you mean? Like food? None of us have ever really experienced the type of hunger and thirst 
that people in that type of situation have experienced. Most of us, if we just miss one meal, we go home and we're like ready to kill someone. It's like, it's just like if I don't have food now, like I, so actually yesterday I hadn't eaten that much. I was at a potluck last night here at Pilgrim. It was so fun. And it was like, it was crazy. I like, I just hadn't eaten that much that day. And like by like, they said supper was at seven by six. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't. Just, like, I'm just like, I can't, I can't survive another hour. I saw Josh actually like pick up a little like piece of like squash out of one of the things in the kitchen and eat it. I was like, okay, sweet. That's a free pass. I saw Josh do it. Um, by the way, what a gift to be a part of a church where your pastor is like, He's like Gordon Ramsay, right? Like he's just like this master. <laughs> so I was like eating little bits. And mostly I was doing it while people weren't looking. So I didn't look like crate, like some homeless guy that like snuck into the church basement. Like, but anyways, it's like many of us experience this hunger sometimes, but it's like so minimal compared to that. I, I don't think any of us could even imagine what it would be like to be on the brink of death because you don't have food or water and someone offers it to you. And we're just like, no, thanks. Jesus, uh, talks about something like this, but on a spiritual level. In Matthew 5, 6, continuing on in our series, Jesus says a simple statement. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, this isn't like, blessed are those who feel like they missed their mid-afternoon snack of like righteousness. Blessed are those who are hungry enough that they might nibble in the kitchen on this. But blessed are those who are desperately feeling empty and are in tune with their emptiness and their lack of this thing called righteousness that we're going to dig into, that they hunger and thirst for it because they will be nourished. They will be filled. They will be fed. Their need will be met. Their hunger and thirst will be satiated. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'd like for you to imagine what you think about when you hear the word righteous, like in a normal context, maybe not from like the guy on the stage on a Sunday morning, but what you think about when you hear the word righteous or righteousness or holiness or like morality or perfection or purity. I would suggest that in the modern age of the church, we don't use the word righteous a lot in normal conversation. Maybe if you like really like to surf and you're like, that's righteous, that kind of thing. But like, other than that, it's like we don't use it a lot. And when we do, we probably, I think in the modern age of the church, righteousness and holiness often actually has a bit of a negative connotation to it. Like it's not often that it's like, hey, I met this guy, he's, he's really righteous. Or like, I met this girl, man, like she just like embodies holiness. Usually it'd be more common for me to be like, hey, I met this person and they're like totally holier than thou or like, oh, they think they're so righteous and high and mighty. It's actually that these terms would have more of like a Ned Flanders connotation, like the loser, the geek, the condescending, the arrogant, the, the holier than thou type people, rather than us actually viewing that as a positive characteristic in the modern church. It's very like uncommon that I've heard people say, man, I'm just really wrestling toward like living a life that's more righteous, that's more holy, that's more like morally pure. It's not normal language in our modern church. We've swung so far against the idea of legalism that we, we reject words like that and we move against them. And that's bad news for this age of the church because as we dig through Matthew 5 through 7, it's one of the biggest themes. Righteousness, holiness, this idea of like 
kind of a high moral standard. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, I invite you to just take a note of any time that it talks about anything relating to this. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, let your good deeds shine before others so that they may see your Father in heaven. If, you, if your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, be careful not to practice your righteousness to be seen by other people. It's this idea that you should practice righteousness. And it goes on and on and on, this idea of righteousness and holiness. And this isn't only exclusive to Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up and he's like, hey guys, bringing this like, we do this in the world all the time, right? Like my wife and I, we just have started cold plunging. Any cold plungers in here? Anybody? Anyways, we just started cold plunging. If you don't know what that is, uh, you'll think it's insane. You can Google it and you'll be like, okay, well, I don't know if we should have brought Ryan in. He's kind of crazy. But um, We've just started cold plunging. And it's like this new thing because two years ago, if someone was like, hey, you know what? I was caught in a tub of water that's like eight degrees outside in the middle of winter. I would be like, are you okay? Did you die? You know, like, are you sick? Do you have hypothermia? But now it's a thing that people do. Jesus isn't introducing a new trend like, you know, like Beyond Meat or cold plunging or keto or whatever it is. It's not a new trend. Jesus is echoing the sermon that has been preached on mountainsides for a long time. The picture we have in the Old Testament that really reflects this is there's this other preacher who goes up on a mountainside. His name is Moses. Maybe you remember the story. He rolls up onto a mountainside and rather than preaching to the people, he has this conversation with God where God delivers to him the law. And many of us kind of, we call it the Ten Commandments. What's called the Decalogue in the Old Testament is this really common teaching of the law. And what it is, is an invitation to live a righteous, a holy, a moral, a pure life. What God is essentially saying through the Ten Commandments isn't like, here's a list of rules that are going to work, but he's saying, embody my character of righteousness and holiness. Live like me so that you will reflect me to the world. And when you do that, you're not going to kill people. For sure, you'll be faithful to your spouse. You won't steal, right? You won't have false gods. You won't lie because those are unrighteous deeds. It's a theme all throughout scripture. So when Jesus rolls up on this mountain, he's preaching the same message that says, listen, friends, there's hope and there's an invitation into a life that's free from the brokenness and the darkness and the challenge that you've experienced in your whole life, that you experience even around religious people that you experience in the world. And it's an invitation to experience my, Jesus's righteousness, goodness, his purity, his holiness, and his perfection. A little while ago, I was, um, I have this friend and maybe some of you know him. His name is Jason Ballard. He's the lead pastor of an awesome church in Vancouver called The Way. And uh, we were chatting about kind of this type of topic, like, you know, righteousness and holiness. And he made this statement that really stuck, stuck with me. And uh, he said, I believe there's a holiness cri- crisis in the modern church. Like today in the church, there's this holiness crisis. And it really struck me because it's like, that's so true because whoever talks about now, some of us maybe grew up in church where the word holy has a bit of like a triggering effect. Cause we're like, maybe there's a preacher who's like beating holiness into us and stuff. And it can't be that either, but this welcoming invitation to experience God's holiness. And Jason was saying, listen, like there's none of that in the church. None of us care. None of us care about how we live our lives. We care that Jesus forgave us and he did a thing, but we don't really care about what happens after that and how we're living our lives after that. None of us are really have this vision or this perspective for like how our lives are actually reflecting God. 
One of the big metaphors the Bible uses is this idea of darkness and light. And it's not a the church people versus the world type mentality, but it's people who want to follow Jesus battling against the own, our own darkness and brokenness that's in our lives and in the church and in the world. It's this invitation to be light. Jesus says that he's the light of the world. And later on in the sermon, we'll see where he says, I want you to be that light, to go into the world and just shine brightly this light of righteousness and holiness and reflecting my character. The start of the Beatitudes started with what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt and will acknowledge that. I think sometimes I wonder if the vision in the modern church is that we can admit that we're spiritually bankrupt. Like there's this unpayable debt of like billions of dollars where our bank balance is like negative $10 billion. And all of us, well, many people are like, well, that just means you put a down payment on a house in Vancouver, right? But like, it's like, you've got this crazy negative debt. And I think maybe the vision for like following Jesus in the modern church is that Jesus comes and he just helps us get that bank account balance to zero. He just kind of pays off the debt and gets us to zero. The book of James, it's written, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's actually this idea that you won't just be set free from the debt that you, don't, that, that you can't pay, but that you actually will have this brilliant like wealth on the other side. Now, just in case you just walked in, there's not like a prosperity gospel going on here. You might be quite financially poor and follow Jesus, and that's fine. But Jesus isn't here to just be like, hey, I'm going to pay off your student loans. He's like, hey, I'm going to pay off your, like, you go to university, you're not just like, oh, I got student loans, hopefully I get back to zero. But you're like, hopefully I get back to zero, but also I get a career based on my degree, which nowadays some of the degrees, you know, questionable whether or not we'll get real jobs based on them, but like that I'll get a job and I'll like actually make money because of this thing. And that's the, that's the progression that Jesus has. He says, I see that you're so spiritually bankrupt. I not only want to pay that off, but I want to fill you full with the riches and the wealth of my grace. And that grace is found nowhere in the path of the unrighteous. It's found nowhere in the path of the world. Those things that I'm setting you free from and I'm liberating you from, I want to set you far away from those things. But it's hard. And fundamentally because we, we love our sin. We love sinfulness. We love the things of the world. On a temporary level, it's so fun. It's so enticing. Those addictions and those vices and those things that we know aren't good for us. And we continue to wake up making decisions that we know aren't the best for us because we're just drawn to that. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for a better way where I set you free from that and I fill your life with righteousness and with holiness and with goodness. This isn't a, okay, after this service, go out and do good things service, but this is a service where it's like, have a vision for what Jesus is actually inviting us into. It's not a bank account balance of zero. If Satan is in the, the, the debt, the in debt side of your bank account, if he's in the negative side, so often as followers of Jesus, as church people, we get ourselves to zero. And I think we put a layer of cellophane, cellophane between us and the devil so that we can like touch and still see and be close and dabble. And we compare ourselves just to other church people. And there's kind of this accepted level of morality that we can achieve and kind of fit in and no one will really bother us. And we tear little holes in the cellophane and poke through because we want to be there. And Jesus says, get away from the darkness and enter into my glorious light so that you can carry my light into a broken world. Is it a dark world that needs light? It for sure is. But there's this concern that I have so deeply in my heart that we as followers of Jesus 
enter that darkness as really dimly lit, flickering candles that don't have a vision, that don't have an excitement, a passion for the true, deep light that Jesus is calling us to. It's not into a state of legalism. It's not into a state of being better than other people. But it's into a state of saying, Jesus, I really want you to set me free from my spiritual bankruptcy so that I can experience what it means to live a righteous life. And we're really good at justifying things, right? We're really good at playing in the gray, neutral areas and justifying that. And Jesus didn't come and die on the cross so that we can live gray lives. He didn't come and die on the cross so you can like, live a neutral life. A little while ago, I was driving, and I will, I will confess that I am a bit of a chronic speeder. And my daughter, Avra, this is a little bit ago. She's probably three or four at the time. She's sitting in the back as I'm driving. And she says, hey, Daddy, are you supposed to be driving this fast? <laughs> I said, yeah, of course I am. And she said, but isn't it against the, she probably said the rules. Isn't it against the rules? And I was like, well, when you put it that way, how much of our lives is lived in that gray 10 to 20 kilometers over kind of area that church people will allow you to get away with. Like there are levels, things that you do that church people are like, oh, that's no good. But we're fine there. We're content there. Why are we okay there? Why are we there okay in the morally ambiguous when the God of the Bible isn't morally ambiguous at all? He's good. He's so good. He's perfectly good. Why, why is there this resistance and this rejection to being there? Now, I'm not condemning speeders because that's actually the free pass. And I'm saying that because I'm a chronic speeder. But it's like, but like, I'm modeling for my child what it's that, that some kind of like mediocre version of righteousness. It's kind of like when you don't want to pay to get rid of the ads and you've got the light version of the app. It's like we've got this light version of like righteousness and the call to follow Jesus. And I'm modeling that for my children in some ways. And we, as the church, we, we kind of just have these, this unwritten social contract that's like, if you're good enough, that's good enough and you can stay there. The path of following Jesus is one that should be marked with hunger and thirst. It says, I'm desperate to break away from this. I'm desperate to be delivered. I'm desperate to be someone who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness so that I can be filled. Here's the picture. You go into a community where people are starving and you bring a whole bunch of food and they say, no thanks. That sounds ridiculous. But I truly believe that's like actually a caricature of the modern church in so many ways. Our lack of righteousness, our spiritual bankruptcy, the Bible teaches is a greater need than physical food. That it's better to take care of your spirit and your soul than to meet your physical needs. Both are needs, but the Bible describes our spiritual needs as greater than all of that. And here we have this great spiritual need, this great spiritual bankruptcy. We are starving. The modern North American church is starving in this way. We live our lives so similarly to the rest of the world, except for most of us, every week or two, give up a little bit of time on a Sunday morning, give up a little bit of sleep, and we go to a thing. But for the most part, during the rest of the week, many of us, myself included, live our lives so similarly when it comes to morality and rules as the rest of the world that it looks so similar to that. We are spiritually, spiritually famished. And Jesus comes and lays this great banquet in front of us. He says, I'm the bread of life, feast. I offer you living water, drink. There's no reason to die of starvation and thirst and to be malnourished. 
And we as the modern church kind of collectively say, we're good, we'll pass. I mean, how appalling to Jesus as he has the nails pounded into his hands and to his feet for the very things that we continue to go back to and continue to practice in our own sinful patterns and ways and those vices and those routines that we know aren't good for us, those addictions, those things that we know aren't good, those things that we do in secret, those things that we hide from people, those things that we're not willing to confess to people. He has those nailed to his hands and feet and he lays his banquet out and we say, I think we're good. I think we're okay. And he watches his poor children just languish in starvation and thirst. I know I'm like, I usually crack more jokes and I'm a little bit more sarcastic and maybe this feels heavy this morning, but friends, this is like, this is such a big crisis. Like my friend said, this is a holiness crisis. A crisis isn't kind of like, hey, I think there's a bit of a problem. You know, we're thinking about this thing. There's a bit of an issue. Like, you know, if hunger was an issue in the world, we might say like, oh, you know, like a hundred people die around the globe from this thing. We'd be like, okay, that's a problem. We should try to assess that. Maybe make some shifts and all that. 25,000 people a day. By the way, that number in our service time is now up to about 1,000, 25,000. That's a crisis. And I think there's just as big, probably even a bigger crisis going on in the modern church where we are rejecting the banquet of righteousness that Jesus has offered us. So what? From, from a Sunday morning gathering like this, I don't expect people leave and they're like, hey, I'm changing my entire life. Everything's different. I'm never going to do a bad thing again. It's all going to be perfect and all that. Again, the invitation of this, ser- of this series, friends, is to just lean in. Say, Jesus, where are those areas of like sinfulness and brokenness and darkness that I'm just hanging on to that I won't let go of? What would it look like to just kind of like move a little bit away from that zero dollar bank account balance and just move a little closer into the glorious riches of your grace? If you want to go home and transform your whole life, like I'm all for that. I'm not discouraging that. I just always encourage baby steps a step closer to the preacher on the mount who sits there and he doesn't say, now go out and be righteous. He just says, I'm righteous, so come and follow me. Lean into my goodness. Let me lend you my righteousness. You can't pay off your debt. You'll never be able to. So let me give you an interest-free loan that you never have to pay back and come experience the joys of what I have to offer you. There's this old song. Um, Do you guys remember when her name's Diana, right? Princess Diana. She died in a car crash. Very sad. Um, I've realized I'm smirking right now. I smirk all the time, so I felt really insensitive. But she died. And there was a song by Elton John, Candle in the Wind. You guys remember that? I actually don't even know all the lyrics. Kind of a cheesy song. Not my jam. But I always remember this like picture of this candle in the wind because it, it's such a, like a... I think we've all experienced that where you try to like light a match when you're outside and it's kind of windy and you're like cupping it with your hand. And there are those moments where like it actually like the flame disappears and you're like, is it still lit? Is it not? And then it like kind of comes back. Like, oh, thank goodness. And you're like trying to keep it lit or even with a lighter or anything like that, where you're trying to do it in these difficult circumstances. And we live in a world where there's like this gushing wind. It is so hard to stay lit. It is so hard to want to be a radical version of light in the darkness. It's much easier to kind of come in as like a really dimly lit, you know, we look like you, we're the same. I don't live my life differently. I don't stick out. Living a righteous life is awkward and it's, it's, 
it's isolating, even in the church, because in the church, if we're not really doing this, if you decide, I actually want to change and adjust the ways of my life, the things that entertain me, the things that draw me in, the things that I follow, the things that I lean into, I actually want to change that and center my life around the righteousness, the goodness, the purity, the perfection, the holiness, the moral high standard of who God is and reflect him in the world. Christians won't like you. People in the church won't like you. People in the world won't like that. There are ways that you'll see brilliant impacts, but people struggle with that because we like our darkness. And when someone is shining bright, it becomes uncomfortable and it's isolating and it is lonely sometimes. And I want to be honest about that. It's not all like unicorns and rainbows. If you decide to embrace this life and lean into what Jesus is offering. But the nice thing is that even though it's a little bit lonely, the person you get to be with in that journey is Jesus, this preacher on the Mount. I'd imagine sitting there as I'm hearing him saying these words, And I could look at him and I could say, I can either lean into him or I can hold on really tightly to the crowd that's over here. And and I think the question for all of us is like, do we care more about what the crowd thinks about us or do we care about leaning into this preacher on the side of this hill and investigating and lean to what he has? I, I don't think I need to make a case that the world has darkness and brokenness in it. I don't think I need to make the case that our lives and our churches and our world, there's so much. I mean, it's no shortage. We can like live stream the darkness and the brokenness of the world like all the time, right? Like it's just, it's there. And in our own lives, our own lives are complicated, conflicting times where we continue to not be as honest as we wish we would, to not be as generous, to not be as faithful as we wish we would, to not be as kind as we wish we would. It's really difficult to not be as generous to our spouse, to our family members, to our friends as we wish we would. It's complicated. And, and, I guess what I hope is that we would have this vision to stop being that like flickering match that's like, oh, is it still lit? Is it not lit? But to say, I want to be, I want to be a true light. I want to be a burning, blazing light for God. Although we might lean toward being this flickering match. I talked about Moses, that first preacher on the mount. When God shows up, he's not a flickering match. He's a whole burning bush. He's this crazy beacon of light in the middle of a desert where there are no lights around. We live in a spiritual desert and God calls us to be like that and to reflect that. So I'd encourage you friends, when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, I give living water, hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we not be like a starving community where someone shows up with a banquet and we say, no thanks. So we lean into Jesus. He will meet and satiate that hunger and that thirst, as long as we're willing to acknowledge we need that, we're famished, because the promise is that Jesus will fill us. We're going to lead into a time of uh, communion where we're actually going to...